You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. It's always a privilege to come and uh, share God's Word. And for this morning, um, I would like for us to study in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And just as the passage was read a while ago, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for this wonderful opportunity that you have provided for us to come to you, to have this freedom to know you more in our lives. Now, I pray, Father, that you will bless our time together as we learn from you. I pray, dear Lord, that uh, your name will be glorified and honored. And I pray, Father, that you will just use me as your instrument this morning. This I pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, it's always a privilege to come and uh, to share God's word. And so for this morning, I would like for us to see these passages in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. The passage was just read a while ago, and uh, I would like to continue on. And uh, probably you're familiar with what happened last year during the Olympics in Rio, Brazil. The U.S. women team, as pictured there, um, they dropped the baton, passing it on to the next runner. And so they got disqualified during the elimination round. But they got a reprieve because they were able to prove that the runner was bumped by the Brazilian. And so they were able to run again during the elimination round, went through the elimination round, passed the elimination, and then run the, 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 the competition itself, the 4 by 100 meter relay, the baton relay, and they won gold. They won gold. But on the other hand, the men's side of it, the men's side, they, won, they, they got into the competition, got past the elimination, run the competition, but they got the bronze medal, but they were stripped off by the medal. The, the medal was taken away from them because of the violation during the passing on of the baton. They were disqualified. And this is not the first time that the, the men's team had that experience. 2008-2012, they got, they got eliminated because of the poor passing of the baton. And you know what? That kind of event is so important that they, you pass it accurately to the next runner. And that struck me. Because that is the same thing that we have to deal with in our Christian life. Passing on the baton to the next runner. And I praise God for your church because you have the opportunity of having Pastor Peter leading the youth ministry. You have this great youth leadership. You have this um, probably good children's ministry as well. You've been thinking about these things, how you would be able to pass on this baton of faith. And I would say it's not easy. It is not easy. As, I, as you look 
back to the history, how many times we have seen that this baton has been dropped. Just take, for example, the history of the United States. The pilgrims, when they came here at Plymouth Colony, when they arrived here in America in the early 1600s, historians says these things for, because of their religious belief, because of their conviction to their faith. This is what it says. There was probably never a group of people more dedicated to honoring and obeying the Lord in their individual and community life. That is how they were described. They are so strong in their faith. They are so strong in their conviction about their relationship with God. And we've seen this as, as the Constitution was prayed, prayed, framed up, as the Pledge of Allegiance was given, the Declaration of Independence. Time and time again, you will see reference to God or Creator. And not to mention the phrase, in God we trust, in the, in the U.S. dollar bills. It is there, the conviction, the expression of their conviction, believing in God. And yet, what is happening nowadays? When we look at the trend that is going on right now, let me share to you some of the recent polls that have come up regarding religious beliefs. You know, the Generation Y. Well, I'll, I'll be... I'll be telling first this thing. Some of the things that were found out by the Pew Research in religion. It says now in 2015 when they took this uh, research, this survey, there are strong signs that many are less certain about the belief in the existence of God than in years past. And a small but growing minority of Americans say they do not believe in God at all. By looking at the conviction of the, the founding fathers and now what is happening in our culture in our times, we're not doing good in passing the baton of faith because of this trend that are going on. And, 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 and the sad thing is that there is a growing number among millennials. And the 1981, 1994, are those people born in that? That those years, 1981, 1994, are there millennials here? Oh, there's no, oh, there, there, there are millennials, or referred to as Generation Y. From, from 34% expressing religious belief, now down to 25%. By the way, 23% of the population of the United States are in this age group. 74 million of the population. In fact, they just passed the number of the baby boomers in population. So from 34% expressing religious belief now down to 25%. And the sad thing is that there is now growing numbers of agnostics and atheists. From 16% in this age group now has grown to 23%. There's these fast-growing numbers among the nuns, not the religious nuns, the Catholic nuns. They are the ones who say they don't have any religion or religious affiliation. It has grown. And then the next generation, probably there are those of you who are born in this age group, 1995 to 2012, are there... There you go. A lot of them. 
Thank you. 11.1% or 23 million of the population are in this age group. Just by looking at these two groups of people, the Generation Y and the Generation Z, we have almost one-third of the population of the United States are in this age group. They are highly diverse environment and will make the grade schools of the next generation the most diverse ever. Tech-savvy. They are globally aware, but the problem is they are becoming physically isolated. They will tend to be by themselves alone. They are exposed to widespread poverty, exposed to terrorism, and there is the great, that great lack in spirituality. And as we see these things, these trends that are taking place, we might say, what's going on? Why is there a growing number of people who are in these categories lacking in faith, lacking in spirituality? Why is this happening? So the, the, the next conclusion that we might say is that we're not passing the baton of faith right. We're dropping it off. We're dropping the baton of faith. And I would say to you, let us not kid ourselves. Me being a father of three, I would say it is not easy to pass on that baton of faith. There will be these struggles that we'll be facing, that we'll be dealing, dealing with. It's not an easy task. We desperately need God's help. We desperately need God's grace in order for us to be able to do this. To pass on the baton of faith to this next generation. And so the Apostle Paul in our text this morning had set before us example on how to pass on the baton of faith. And my prayer this morning is that as we look at these passages, the principles that will be presented here, we would be able to understand more on how we can effectively pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. You see, Timothy uh, I know, uh, Pastor Peter, you've been going through the book of Acts, and I, I wanted to speak on that as well, but, but I would say, I, I would just like to hit on this topic about this, because it's about the book of Acts as well. Because Timothy, you'll see his name mentioned in Acts 16. You will find, you will, he will be mentioned there. He is a disciple. He's a follower of Christ. His father was a Gentile, and he was brought up in faith by his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. They were, this mother and daughter, they are looking forward to the coming hope of the Messiah. And, and I would say they are Messianic Jews because of that. They are looking forward to the coming of Christ. And look at what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Look at what he said. You, that faith was passed on to you by your grandmother and your mother, and now you have this wonderful opportunity to do the same. It's in you. That faith is in you. So Paul is telling him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, you have to pass on that baton of faith to others. If you are familiar with the book of, of 2 or 1 Timothy as well, of these epistles, 
especially in the last part of, of, uh, of chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, there, there will be names that will be mentioned at the last part of it. Those who did not endure in their faith. Those who are not willing to continue on in their faith. Their name were mentioned, Phygelus and Hermohenes. And then he also mentioned a name who, are, who is enduring in his faith. A great example that, he, that, that Timothy could look up to as he was living his faith. And his name is Onesiphorus. He's the one that, that Paul commanded that he is able to show that he is indeed a true follower of Christ. And now Paul is telling Timothy, do the same thing. You have to pass on this faith that you have in Christ. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in the first 13 verses, God gave Paul to tell Timothy and to each and every one of us, what is our identity as Christians? We were given that identity by God. He identity because of our relationship with Him. But I will not be looking at those first 13 verses. I'll just be look, I'll just, for the sake of time, we'll be looking at the, these four verses. The first one is this. Be strong in the Lord. That's the first admonition. You wanted to pass on that baton of faith to the next generation. You yourself be strong in the Lord. In verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Why say this? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul talks about Timothy being timid, being weak. And realizing that this timidity and, 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 and weakness, probably some people would stay that way. And so Paul now comes along, that timidity and weakness can be overcome. It's not an obstacle in your walk with God. Because all the more you realize your weakness, all the more you will come to God and ask for strength. The more you will desire to live by the grace of God. Some of us parents that are here this morning, we know how challenging for us, just like what I've said, when, when we wanted to teach our children, but teaching them just head knowledge will not work. Things that we know here, but when they see in our examples, when they see in our lives what we are telling them, the more it becomes powerful. It becomes powerful. If you merely pass on knowledge of truth, teaching people the various doctrines of Christianity, you have done nothing to help them at all. Unless they see the truth of God's Word being lived out in our lives and they see it working in our lives and they hear these things from you, then they would be able to live in accordance with that Word. And it begins by experiencing the strength of the Lord. The Apostle Paul said these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Let's read this together. Begin. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And what Paul is saying here is this. At times, the reason why it is difficult for us to experience the strength of the Lord, we flaunt our own strength, our own reliance upon our own strength. And Paul is saying here, all the more I realize I'm weak, the more I realize how strong God is. And that is what God wanted us to experience. That is what God wanted us to, to, to have an attitude of. The truth about God's grace is to realize that we are not strong. We are not capable enough to handle the pressures that we are dealing with in this fallen world unless we draw from Him. And that is what God wanted us to experience daily, drawing upon God. In fact, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our relationship with God begins with that realization, I am spiritually bankrupt. I cannot save myself. I do not have the power nor the strength to do it. So I will come to God. I will draw myself to God to receive that grace that could save me alone. And that grace that saved us is continually provided for us. So that we can live our lives experiencing His strength. So that we can say with the Apostle Paul for eternity, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We will come to a point in our time that this is our resolve. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. A great example of this kind of life, being strong in the Lord, this resolve in this principle, in this truth, is J. Hudson Taylor. The China Inland Mission Marvelous exemplification of what I'm talking about here. Here is his dedication from his writings. It makes no matter where he places me or how, that is rather for him to consider than me. For the easiest positions, he must give me grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. So if God places me in great perplexity, must He not give me much guidance in positions of great difficulty, much grace in circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength as to work? Mine was never so plentiful, so responsible, or so difficult. But the weight and the strain are all gone. His resources are mine, for He is mine. That is what God does to us. When we realize that strength comes along with it because of our relationship with Him. We start with our relationship with God according to, he, uh, uh, 
accepting Him as Lord and Savior. And that is also where we remain to stand in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we cannot demonstrate that in our own lives, we will get nowhere in trying to communicate to others, passing the baton of faith. The second one that I would like to live with you is this. Be faithful stewards of sound teachings. In verse 2, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. What Paul says here, the things you have heard, meaning to say not only the things that he has heard from him, but also being attested by the apostles' teaching. And Paul told Timothy, continue on with that, but do not just stay in there, but pass it on. Be faithful stewards of those sound teachings. Do not just keep it to yourself. You have to entrust it to others. Pass it on. Communicate it to others. Let them see what you have learned. In fact, look at again the passage. In the presence of many witnesses. These things are, have worked in my life because you are a witness to this. This is what we, you are learning in the book of Acts, how Paul had demonstrated that life, that life of trust and belief in God. And Timothy was there. He had seen Paul living out the truth of God's word. He was one of those witnesses. And so Paul is telling Timothy, do this. Tell others about this, about this word and trusting others and trusting to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You see, the next generation, our children need to see that Christianity makes a difference. It works. Not just in what we believe, but in how we live. It means that our home, when we claim is a Christ-centered home, should be a place where, where prayer will be given as natural as possible. No matter what life, is, what life is, is bringing to us, there will always be times of prayer. Friends, it is very important to remember that the next generation or our children's spiritual development is ultimately in God's hands, not ours. But when we speak about passing on the baton of faith, it will be just like sharing our faith to other family members and friends. We plant the seeds, but God is the one who takes care of that seed and let it bear fruit. But keep in mind, the more seeds you plant, the more likely you are going to see fruit. But I would say this, because of the experience I have as a pastor, that good, godly, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting parents increase the odds of successfully passing on the baton to the next generation. But there are no guarantees. Because there are times, sometimes no matter how careful we are, the baton gets dropped. Looking at the trend spiritual decline all of us live, 
just one generation away from total apostasy. The work of the church can fall apart in one generation if we are not careful in passing on the baton. The work of the church is so important. The work of every leader in the church, parents to children, elders to the younger ones, leaders to those who follow, Faithful men and faithful women who are able to teach others also. That is God's process of supporting and spreading truth, helping it so, it, so that when times of attack, when this time of people not enduring in their faith, people are still there standing up. There are still people wanting to continue on. And this brings us to the third point. Be committed without any reservation. Look at verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul's use of this image of a soldier is very important, very significant. In this world where people are just wavering in their commitment, God is calling His disciples, do not waver in your faith. Do not have any misgivings. Do not have any reservation without hesitation. Continue to be faithful in following the Lord. The motto of uh, enlisted person, the military, what is the motto? Obey first before you ask. It's not complain first before you follow. It's not that. It is obey first before you ask. Paul had never been in the army. But he had spent time with Roman soldiers. In fact, when he wrote this book in 1st and 2nd Timothy, he was in a Roman dungeon. He was in a jail. In fact, when you read through the book of 2nd Timothy in chapter 4, he knows he would not be able to get out of that jail anymore. And he will face death. And so knowing this, seeing the life of a soldier, he knows how difficult a soldier's life is. In fact, there was this his, um, leader in the 2nd century, Tertullian, one of the early church leaders, he said, No soldier comes to the war surrounded by luxurious nor goes um, luxuries nor goes into action from a comfortable bedroom, but from the makeshift and narrow tent where every kind of hardness and severity and unpleasantness is to be found. So what Paul is saying, when you are making that commitment without any reservation, as a soldier of God, you surrender your options and you give up any, obje any other objective because your God's objective now becomes your purpose. And that is what God wanted us to do. You are set to live a Christian lifestyle wherever you are, whatever you are doing, and refuse all others. Paul was echoing what our Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 9.23, when Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Without any reservations, being committed completely. 
with readiness to follow. Nowadays, we see shows about war and how they portray the realism in television and movies today. It used to be young men with band playing in the background with the, 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 the flag flying, the banners flying. But now it's a different story when we see it in television and in movies. The realistic portrayal of what's going on in a war. And now we see how difficult it is, how challenging that life is, how they are carrying this stuff in, 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 in varying weather, in a damp place, filth, filled with filth, being far away from their home, from their comfort zone, from their own barracks, from their own station. And, and, and what we see being depicted is that as all the more they are far, far away from this comfort zone, the more they, their complaints become trivial. Whatever food is before them, they will be grateful. Steak again? Not that. They have the attitude changes. All the more they, they see the struggle that they're facing, it, it becomes difficult, yes. But look at how many soldiers are keeping on being enlisted in spite of the difficulty. In the church where I pastor in Santa Monica, we have several military people. I remember growing up back in the Philippines, and when I was in high school, neighbors after neighbors are signing up for, to become a Navy, U.S. Navy, when they started to recruit in the Philippines for U.S. Navy. And in the poster, I, 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 that's why when I write essay during high school, when I grow up, I want to be a sailor so I can sail across the sea. How exciting it is. In fact, look at the, the advertisement. The service for training and travel. Join the Navy. And in, even in a travel magazine, you see Navy. Yes, there's truth in it. You travel... But if a warfare breaks out, it is going to mean that he or she is faced with ugly, arduous, uncomfortable living. So the use of metaphor of soldier here in this passage conveys to us that we are not called to be Christians to merely enjoy pleasant living and, and being comfortable where we are. Because most, most of the times we have to leave those comfort zones and get and be in, in, in most uncomfortable expression of living. And I praise God for you guys doing that ministry among homeless people. And you will experience and see how difficult it is. How that kind of ministry is all about. But, but we need to leave that kind of comfort zone that we have. And the Apostle Paul is so credible in saying these things because he's a guy who has been there and done that. Christians who will determine to live holy life, obedient before God, place themselves on the front lines of spiritual warfare. We are in that spiritual warfare. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, let's read this together. Begin. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in a spiritual warfare. And God is calling us to be committed without any reservation. Being totally sold out that no matter what we're facing, I know I'm not alone in this struggle. In fact, that is what Paul said to Timothy. In verse 3 in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, Join with me in suffering. Why? Because look at what he said in Philippians 3.10, to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. So Paul is saying when you go through sufferings in life because of your relationship with God, you are not alone. But the devil will tell you so. Hey, you have been abandoned. You are by yourself. And how many people have bought that lie? When they are going through difficult times and giving up and not staying on in the course. Because somebody says, you are by yourself. We're not. In fact, when Paul said, join with me in suffering. They are connected geographically. They are even though they are separated geographically. But because of their bond as brothers and sisters in, in that relationship, the Holy Spirit allows us to say, you are not by yourself facing this kind of challenges. There's somebody else who's praying with you, lifting you up in that struggle. And this brings us this, to this next one. Avoid worldly entanglements. Look at verse 4, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. So when we are willing to follow God, we are willing to give up some of the affairs of civilian life in order to focus on being a soldier of God. A Christian soldier of our Lord Jesus Christ should have that same attitude. Plenty of people nowadays, they wanted to serve the Lord, but they also want to make as much money as possible, and to want, they want to have as much as possible pleasure they can have in life. Yes, they will say, Jesus is important to me. But so are recreational activities and nice things. Like new cars, fast cars, big houses, fashionable clothing. And many Christians I know, including one that I see in the mirror, at times we fall into that trap. Now you might be thinking, wait a second, I'm all for that being committed, but I have to live everyday life. I have kids to feed. I have kids to take care of. I have bills to pay. I have an old car that needs to be, to be fixed. I can't ignore the affairs of life. Well, friends, I don't think God wants you to ignore those things, affairs of life. The Lord expects us to be diligent in conducting our everyday living, taking care of these things. 
And the Lord almost certainly expects you to take care of your kids and pay your bills and even fix your car. He wants you to have those things as well. But look at again the passage, 2 Timothy 2.4. No one serving is as the Lord gets entangled. The key word there is the word entangled. The word entangled is empleco in Greek. It comes from a term used of a ship that get their wool caught in thorns. And it is very descriptive what, G, what, what Paul said there. Because it shows how come that that ship is there. He left the fold. Wandered away from the shepherd. And same thing with us. When we start to wander away from our Lord Jesus Christ. We can easily be entangled with civilian affairs, with the affairs of life. We can easily be caught up by the philosophies of this world, of the social values of this world. That's why as Christians, our, our everyday tasks and responsibilities should not interfere with who we are in our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing in our lives should keep us from doing what God wants us to do. If the affairs of everyday, if, if everyday life keep us from doing what God called us to do, we need to reflect. And if we need to make drastic changes, I hope we do so. Because we cannot wander away from the love of God by being entangled by these things around us. Why? Because of this last point. By the way, I would like to share this quote. There is this guy, David Foster Wallace. He's a professor at Hamhurst College. This is what he said. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what? To worship. And that guy used to be an atheist, became an agnostic, but he knows what he is saying here because no matter what you are involved with in your life, it becomes your God. You worship it. That's why we have to avoid any entanglement. And the last one, why is this so? Because our motive is to please the Lord. In verse 4, the second part, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. That is our motive, to please the Lord. The Christian soldier should follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The motive is one of love, but not, not duty, but love. It is a conviction that the one we follow, that we believed in, that we trusted, have already given everything to us, the Lord of heaven and earth. He has already done so much for us that our proper response now is to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Our motive is to please our commanding officer. And when we have this commitment, even when difficulties come, 
even when trials become difficult and harder, we can endure. Why? Just like what Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Whatever price we may pay for being a faithful follower of Christ, in the end, we will always realize everything was well worth it. Everything that we have done, the commitment that we have, we have done before God will all be well worth it. Look at this passage in Hebrews eleven thirteen to 15. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such such things show that they are looking for a country of their own, a better country, a heavenly one. They're not anticipating that this world could provide for could provide for them what God could provide for them when they are with them in heaven. There's nothing, no comparison. That's what they're saying. That's why they're willing to give it up because their motive is to please the Lord. There was this young man attending a conference, was asked, why do you have two name badges? He's wearing two name badges, different names. And the, man, the young man said, I have identity crisis. I have an identity crisis. According to the Federal Trade Commission, the top three consumer complaints are debt collection, identity theft, and imposter scams. Identity theft alone jumped 47 from, 47% from last year. Someone claims your identity. And probably some of you have been a victim of that. My wife, she's a victim of identity theft for the past, last eight years ago. And how difficult it is to prove to the creditors, I'm not that person who opened up a credit line at JCPenney in Salinas. We live in Canoga Park and there were this girl who assumed her identity difficult to prove that she is the real person who did not open up a credit line. And nowadays, we see Christians not able to endure because they struggle with their identity of who they are in Christ. And I hope and pray that we are so sure of who we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That we are so sure of our identity because of our relationship with Him. So that when things come, when people around us are falling away from their faith, we are continually enduring on, standing on because of our relationship with God. That's why in Ephesians 4.14 it says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. No longer swayed because we are able to stand up where we need to stand up because we know who we are. See, salvation is a free gift. It is God's gift alone to us. God's grace is freely offered to all those who are willing to receive it. And yet, if we are to be good followers and are committed 
to that relationship, we are also called to pass on that baton of faith. Our identity is in Christ. I know nowadays people will say, my career is my identity. I remember this lady who won um, Best Supporting Actress in the last uh, Oscar Award. She said, I am so grateful that I became an actress to know that this is my life, that this is who I am. But you know what? What if you will be not an actress anymore someday? What if that is taken away from you? Many of us are thinking, my career is my life. My boyfriend, my girlfriend is my life. Relationship is my life. My house is my life. My car is my life. You know what? When those things are taken away, life crumbles. You will be devastated. Because those things can easily be taken away. But your identity with Christ, that will not be taken away. And that is what we wanted to continue on with our life as we live this life that God gave us. I know it's not easy passing on the baton of faith. I know it's not easy when people around you are giving up. But God wanted us to continue on and to remain faithful. There was this guy, probably know him, Eric Liddell, The Chariots of Fire, the movie Chariots of Fire. He was a runner during the, the Olympics, was chosen to represent Great Britain. Little has been chosen to, to run on a, on a Sunday on a 200-meter qualifying round. But it was on a Sunday. He said, I cannot do that. I cannot run on a Sunday because my relationship with God is first and foremost. I know some of us might debate about, might have a debate on what he did. But what Eric Liddell has shown in that point is his conviction, his commitment to God. And that is what will guide his life. In fact, he was People are, ask, are telling him, no, don't give up. You run. You have to run that, 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 that qualifying run. Even the king of England at that time, King VIII, Edward VIII. In fact, I said when I, when, I, when I saw his name, King Edward VIII of England, I said, it's good that he has that name, Edward VIII. Because his real name is Edward Albert Christian George Andrew Patrick David. And it's good, it's just King Edward VIII. Even him telling Eric Liddell, you have to run. And Eric Liddell, my allegiance is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And look at what he said. Many of us are missing something in life because we are after the second best. I put before you what I have found to be the best. One who is worthy of all our devotion, Jesus Christ. Is the Savior for the young and the old. Lord, here I am. So, don't settle for good when you can have God's best.
always remember that in this world, there are so many things that will come to us and take away that relationship we have. But when we know we are sure with our relationship with Jesus Christ, we can be strong. We can be committed like a soldier without any reservation because our motive is to always please Him. Let us pray. Lord, we would like to come to you at this time. You know our struggles. You know where we fail you. You know our weaknesses. And so this morning, dear Lord, I just pray that you continue to help us be reminded that we are not by ourselves. We are not alone doing this. You are always with us. And just like what you promised, you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so far, God, I pray that you will just continue to speak to us in a very special way. Help us always to be reminded of who we are before you. Knowing what we believe, knowing who we are, having that strong conviction of our relationship with you. Lord God, thank you for this church. Thank you for looking at the congregation, having this mix with, with kids, with adults. And I pray, Father, that as we continue to live this life that you have provided for us, that we can set a good example to the next generation. That we will be careful in passing on the baton of faith so that the next generation will continue on with the call that you have provided for us. So once again, dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your reminders to each and every one of us. Help us not just to be hearers. Help us to be doers of your word. These are in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.